Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to the Marriage Today Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. We're so glad that you're joining us. We're going into a teaching here in just a few minutes from my series, God and Money. And all of this series of podcasts we're doing right now really be helpful for you as a couple in dealing with finances. Big issue, Karen. Mm-hmm. Money was a big issue early in our marriage. because We didn't have any. And <laughs> you and I disagreed on every single thing financially. Uh, so you have a question? I do. Uh, it says, my fiance and I are getting married in a few months and are starting to talk about how we will handle our money. What is your most important advice for us? Well, you're doing the right thing in talking before you get married. Mm-hmm. That, that's a big deal. Huge. Yeah. The, the, my book, The Four Laws of Love, this is an example of preparing for marriage. But one of the chapters in this book is on financial intimacy and partnership. The most important thing about uh, handling your money when you're married is learning to do it as a couple. Now, Karen mm-hmm. and I had tremendous problems early in our marriage because we see money differently. And I talk about that uh, in the book. And so my book, Four Laws of Love, also my book, Marriage on the Rock, both talk about money. But there are Dave Ramsey. There are uh, financial experts out there that have uh, financial books that you can read. And th- the more help you get, the better off it is. But the main thing is to do it as a couple, to mm-hmm. do it as a partnership. Don't let money separate you. Let money bring you together. And if you learn to manage it together uh, and make your decisions together, that's what happens. You Mm -hmm. end up having financial intimacy. That's good. Okay, this is for you, Karen. I have a lot of anxiety when it comes to money. I have never managed it well, and it's hard for me to talk to my husband about it. I want to glorify God with our finances, but money has always been a negative thing for me. How do I deal with this? That's a good question. Um, I know I can speak out of my own self. Um, Money wasn't an anxiety for me, but not having it in savings was an anxiety. And so she probably needs to pinpoint exactly what she means by money being making her anxious. Is she fearful of not having? Is she fearful of... You know, there, there's a reason that she gets worried about it. She doesn't trust God to provide. I mean, there's so many things in our yeah. life that we have to, you know, take the bigger picture of what this little thing sounds like, but it may be bigger than that, that, you know, does she trust God? And, you know, I know I was telling a friend recently um, about in Hebrews 13, where God says, I'll never leave you, forsake you, and I'll always provide for you. And, you know, the Word of God is very clear about God owns everything, yeah. and everything belongs to Him. And when we start trusting God in that area of if it if it's God, then I can trust He's going to provide, and I don't have to worry. And so probably she's worrying about other things too besides money. And um, so, but I think that it's, she really loved her heart that she wants to glorify God. And that, you know, what we did is, you know, we started tithing. Yeah. You know, um, I just would read the Word of God, and the Word of God says, give a tenth. And I was like, okay, we need to give a tenth. I never questioned it. But in giving, it, it releases things back to God where He can pour back into us the needs that we have. And so, um, I don't know, I just I just think that it's it's hopeful. That well, she, when you started giving, it terrified me. 
uh, <laughs> I had it did. I had no faith in giving. I, I relate to this. Mm-hmm. I relate to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came out of a poor family. Uh, we didn't have money. And uh, I, I literally had a poverty spirit. I never felt like I'd have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The concept of giving was just bizarre to me. I thought it was the craziest thing <laughs> I'd ever heard in my life. You started giving. Mm-hmm. You, it was your faith, not my faith. And then I saw God began to do miracles in our lives. And then I realized he is our, he is our father. Mm-hmm. And he loves us and he takes care of us. And that's what dealt with my financial fears. And so exactly what you said, Karen, to this woman, I think that uh, dealing with your own financial fears and your concept of God, which is huge. Now, you had a faith for money that I didn't have. And you came out of a wealthy family, mm-hmm. but you didn't value money. Uh, you, you you weren't into money. No, I always said I could live in a shack and I'd be okay. <laughs> well, you, you had a great uh, healthy concept of, of money more than me. But I do agree with everything you just said. You just have to learn to trust God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we hope that's helpful to you. We're going now into the teaching on God and money. And by the way, I would say to the woman or people that can identify with her, uh, this series of messages, God and money, will really, really help you to understand money from a biblical perspective and to trust in God. So we're going to go to this teaching right now. Stay tuned. You're naturally functioning according to the Word of God. It's the natural way that you think, and that's when your life begins to be super blessed because you're no longer resisting God. You're no longer coming against the things He wants to do, but now you're cooperating with Him. Here's another counterintuitive truth of Scripture. Humility brings promotion and exaltation. James 4.10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Jesus got up from the table in John 13 at the Last Supper, and washed the disciples' feet. And he said to the disciples, listen, the servant, the servant is the greatest of all. See, it's counterintuitive to say, I want a promotion, so I need to really be humble. In the world that we live in, is scratch and claw your way to the top. Self-promotion, even in the church, even in the church. There's a tremendous amount of self-promotion that goes on in the church. And I made a deal with the Lord many years ago, and that is I will not promote myself and anywhere you want me to go, you're gonna have to get me there. I do not want to promote myself. Listen, when you put yourself somewhere, you have to keep yourself there and it's exhausting. But when God puts you there, God will keep you there. And if you want God to assist you in promoting you in ministry, in business, wherever you are, if you want to be exalted, you you keep yourself humble. And you're not prideful and you're not self-promoting. It's counterintuitive because the world is very, very self-promoting of themselves. Here's another counterintuitive truth. Love your enemies and do good to them and pray for them. I say hit your enemies in the nose. You know, that's my natural way of thinking. Kick them in the shin, you know. Uh, Luke 6, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Now, is that counterintuitive? I mean, bless those who curse you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. It's just our natural mind just says, no, no, I'm going to get back. I'm going to train you not to be mean to me. And if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You pull a club, I'm going to pull a knife. You pull a knife, I'm going to pull a gun. You know, I'm, 
Listen, you can only defeat a spirit with the opposite spirit. If you fight hate with hate, we have too much hate in America right now. There's too much hate. All this, all this rhetoric, all this vitriol that's going on right now, and a lot of it's political, whatever, but I'm saying, listen, people are not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent. They're God's children, and we should not hate each other. There's too much hate. And then the Romans were very cruel people, and they lived in an extremely cruel world, and they were oppressing the Jewish people. And when Jesus was telling the, the Jewish people, you love your enemies, you do good to them. If they strike you on the cheek, you turn the other. He was, telling about, he was talking about the Romans. And he was saying, yes, they're cruel and they're mean, but they're not the enemy. And if you want to defeat their spirit, you're gonna have to use the opposite spirit. Jesus is not weak, he's wise. And when you're being discipled, being discipled in the word of God is the practice of being constantly offended by the word of God. The word is foolishness. That's what 1 Corinthians says. The word of God is constant foolishness. Everything it says is just foolish. So this is another counterintuitive truth. Warfare against the devil brings peace. Against the devil, not against people. But Ephesians 6 says you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. People aren't your problem. There are spiritual forces that are coming against you, but God has equipped you with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, girding your loins with truth, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Listen, God has given you every single thing you need to overcome Satan, but fighting him is how you live in peace. Standing up on the word of God against the lies of the devil is how you're gonna live the rest of your life in peace. But if you don't stand against the devil, no one else can do it for you. He'll attack your mind, he'll attack your marriage, he'll attack your finances, he'll attack your family, and you have to learn, Jesus said, I give you the authority to bind and loose. Anything you wanna bind and loose, I'll honor it. And bind means disallow, and loose means allow. And we have to get to a point where we have the spiritual authority to stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, I bind a spirit of rebellion over my children. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be loosed in the lives of my, our children to bring them to be the men and women that we, they're supposed to be in God. And you pray with authority and peace breaks out. But if you don't pray, you've got an enemy on your hands and God has completely uh, equipped you to overcome him. But again, our natural mind looks in the natural. That's all it is. But a spiritual mind understands there are hosts of, de uh, of demons. Now, God is much more powerful. There's, there's not even a fair fight there. But you have to fight. And we've been equipped to do that. Here's, here's another counterintuitive truth. This is the most offensive, I believe, of all. Giving on any level causes God to increase us and bless us supernaturally. It's just simply what the Bible says. And so Luke 6, give. This is Jesus. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you in return. And so give and it will be given back to you. Psalm or Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes a man rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Listen, the blessing of the Lord makes a man rich and you don't lose your health, you don't lose your family, you don't lose your reputation. When God makes you rich, and rich means having more than enough to do God's will for your life, living an abundant life. So this is Malachi 3, 
beginning with verse eight. Will a man rob God? This is the question. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Okay, so that's the first verse. So God is saying, I see you as a thief because you have what belongs to me. Okay, so here's the next one. You are cursed with a curse for you've robbed me. Because you've robbed me, you may be saved, God loves you, everything, but when you don't give, that's the way God sees you. Okay, even this whole nation. Here's the next verse. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So Karen and I went to church one Sunday. I was like 22 years old or something. The preacher preached on giving and it made me sick and mad. And the entire time I'm sitting there, because I grew up poor, we didn't have money, and I made $600 a month at that time, and we had a little baby, and Karen was a stay-at-home mom. And this guy's saying, you need to give your money to the church. And it was, it was disgusting. I mean, just completely offended my natural mind. Now, Karen liked it. Karen enjoyed it. And then Karen wanted to give after that. And that's how we started giving was Karen, not me. So, but we experienced this. This is what we experienced. I, there's not any doubt in my mind, this, this is 100% true because of our experience and thousands of people that I've pastored over the years that did this right here and God, God did it. Okay, so let, let, me, let me turn this around. So let's just say a minute, I know this is offensive. Many of you, this is completely offensive to you. Is, so I'm supposed to give 10% of my income to the Lord plus offerings after that. So let's just say 15%, 12%, 15%. And I'm saying, yeah, that's what this says. And this is what Karen and I do. We've done it for many, many years now. Okay, so um, what if this is true? So what if, what if it's true? I know your natural mind hates it because it's foolishness. This is absolute foolishness to anyone who is a rational thinker. So you say, okay, Jimmy, so I give, I give 12% of my income. I give 10% tithes, 2% offerings. I have less money. Okay, 100% is 100%, 88% is 88%, and 100% of what I have right now is not enough. So if you take 12% off not enough, now you have way not enough. <laughs> and you're trying to talk me into that? Yeah, I am, yeah, I am. And uh, I actually am. I'm trying to, to get you to mistrust your thinking because it's fallen. If you have not been transformed by the renewing of your thinking, you think like the world thinks and you're fallen. And that's where I came from. I'm not being self-righteous. I was exactly the same. Well, listen, before you can be discipled, you have to get offended. The truth, Jesus told so many offensive truths. One day, Jesus had all these followers and he turned and said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't follow me. That's offensive. Uh, you want to be a cannibal? Come on. Here, let's just, come on. Basically, you know, and what Jesus was trying to do is just slap them in the brain and get them to think a different way. Love your enemies. Walk by faith, not by sight. So on and so forth. And so what if this is true? Okay, so what if this is true? 
If it's true, it means God sees us as robbers when we don't give. He loves us. These are his people. These are his chosen people. He's talking here. We're on our way to heaven. He loves us. He's a good father. But we're robbing him. And we're cursed. If this is true, if this is true, it means when we don't give financially, there's a curse on our finances. Okay? All right? And he says here, if you will bring the tithe into the storehouse and try me now, and this is the only place in the Bible that God says, put me to the test. Come on now, step out. I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that you will not be able to receive it. What if that's true? Would anybody, this is an IQ test, would anybody here like to have more than you need? Anybody, this is an IQ test. Anybody? Okay, yes, of course we would. Of course we would. Would you like for God to open the windows of heaven above you and pour out blessings on you that you could not receive any longer? Anybody? Come on now. Of course you would. Well, that's the promise. If this is true, if this is true, that's what it is. Well, let me say something else too. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine uh, fail to bear fruit for you in the field. So it's a, it's a double whammy. Not only does he bless us supernaturally, he keeps the devil from stealing from us. And here's what God the Father is saying to Israel and I believe to us. I understand the way you think about money, but you're wrong. Because your money doesn't come from your employer or the government. It comes from me. I'm, I'm your God and I'm your Father and I deserve the first place in your life. And the acid test of your faith in me is money. And when I see you holding back what belongs to me, you're robbing me and I cannot bless your finances. And here's what I'm saying to you. If you would make this thing right, I would remove the curse. And I would put on you this blessing. I'm gonna supernaturally multiply what's in your life and open the windows of heaven and I'm gonna supernaturally protect you from the devil and every demon of hell stealing from you what I've given you. Your natural way of thinking will keep you from this. Mine, mine would. When we went home that day from church, I was disgusted and I was offended at our pastor. He wasn't my pastor, we just were visiting and I decided not to visit anymore. <laughs> and I, I did, I, I just made me so frustrated. I, was, I grew up poor. I didn't have, we never had any money. And we didn't have enough money then. And we got home that day and Karen said, I would like to give $40 to the church. I mean, it was an out-of-body experience for me. I promise it was. She, she, I was like watching football on Sunday afternoon. She walked in and said, I really like that preacher's message. And I just thought, Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> it was my worst nightmare. I mean, I, I would have never married a giver if I had the choice. I should have asked her when we were dating. You want to give to the church? No way. You're out of here. And she, $40, we didn't have $40. We did not have, we were overdrawn in the bank. So she wrote a check to the church for $40. And the next time we got paid, we had money. I mean, it was, it was a miracle. And then she wanted to do it again. And then she wanted to do it again. Then she wanted to do it again. Well, let me tell you, the greatest miracle was not what happened in our finances. The greatest miracle is I realized that God knew who we were. I did not believe that God knew me personally. I didn't believe it. When the Bible says God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
I just thought, yeah, well, God loves the world, and I'm in the world, so God loves me. I never, I never realized, even though Jesus said, he knows every hair on your head, he knows everything that you have need of before you ask, I never, I never had experienced any of that. But that day, that Karen started giving, the Lord began to do things in our family and in our finances that were, I knew they were God. It was, they never happened before. They never happened before. They started happening on that week that Karen gave that $40. Then she gave again and she gave again. And we began to prosper. By prosper, I mean, I, we didn't get rich. We just began to have more. And we began to have some discretionary income that we had never had before as a young family. And I woke up one day, and, I, and here's, here's the thought that came to my mind. He knows us. He knows, he knows us. Well, let me tell you what I know now. I'm his favorite. That's the way you feel. That's the way you feel. We're all his favorites. Aren't you glad about that? Listen to me. Your greatest allegiance should not be to a human being. It should be to God. He's your father. He owns you. That's what the Bible says. You've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus bought you. And if he was willing to give his life for us, I think we ought to be willing to give some money for him. And when we give, it takes us out of the robber category and puts us into the child of God category. And the curse comes off and the blessing comes on. And you end up being a giver. I thank God, I thank God in my adult life that Karen and I have been able to give hundreds of thousands of dollars to the church to support the church. I thank God. Uh, every, every time, every time we give, I thank God that I was not a taker my entire life. I thank God. We started out with $40 when we were broke. But I also thank God that we're able to bless our children and grandchildren. We have an abundance. We're not rich, but we have an abundance. And when we want to bless our children or grandchildren or do something, we can do it out of a, out of a pocket that's full. And we are not God's favorites. We're all God's favorites. I'm saying you have a father in heaven and he is head over heels crazy about you. He knows you personally. And some of you I'm talking right now and you say, Jimmy, we, we've been bankrupt. Jimmy, we've got so much credit card debt. Jimmy, we've got medical bills you can't imagine. Let me, let me say this. So you do? Did you know when you start to give? Now God takes that liability, and it's his liability now. When people are getting married, what I tell people who are getting married is, when you get married, that means you become one. And I don't just receive your assets and reject your liabilities. I take your, if you're married, if you're getting married, you're gonna take the assets and the liabilities. What was once your liability is now our liability. How many of you that have a financial situation, how many of you would like for God to personally accept responsibility for your liabilities. That's what happens. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. 
For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.